Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Now, we hear a lot about anxiety these days because there's a lot of things that are making us anxious. Maybe personal things, maybe the state of the world or the environment, and very often, things in the workplace as well. That can be a problem, but actually it can be an asset because sometimes people use stress and anxiety to motivate themselves. And when you motivate yourself, that can mean success at work. My guest today has put a lot of thought into anxiety and anxiety at work and how we can maybe turn it into something positive rather than something negative. Her name is Maura Ahrens Millie, and she's the author of a book called The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. Now, I learned a lot talking to Maura about how prevalent anxiety is, how workers can handle it, but also how leaders should be thinking about it, how organizations should perhaps be creating environments where there's less anxiety, because that's good for workers, but it's also good for them as well. Great conversation with Maura. Please stay with us to hear it. your anxiety about work and turn it into something positive. To talk about that, I'm joined by Maura Ahrens Mealy. She's author of The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. Maura, thank you so much for doing this today. Thanks, Linda. Hi. Hi. You know, it's an interesting area, anxiety and make it positive, but I'm interested to know how you got involved in this in the first place. What What's your career been like and how did it take you here? Yes, and I definitely do not say that anxiety is always positive. Anxiety is often horrible. Um, my career. So uh, I have been on my own as an entrepreneur, small business owner since 2006. But I started out working in the very early dot-com boom in the late 90s in New York and London. And then I worked in politics and uh, issue advocacy consulting for many years. Uh, I worked for three uh, U.S. Democratic presidential candidates, as well as hundreds and hundreds of issue advocacy organizations and social change campaigns. And I sold the business that I owned for 11 years, two years ago, and um, have been really focusing on anxiety in the workplace and more broadly sort of workplace mental health ever since. Well, workplace mental health is this giant issue right now. And I didn't realize until I did a little research and read some of the things you wrote that anxiety is a sort of mental illness. Absolutely. Anxiety is both an absolutely normal human emotion that we all feel and need to feel. Anxiety can be good. It can be helpful, right? The anxiety that you feel, for example, before you take to the stage to give a presentation or show up at work on your first day at a new job or really want to feel motivated and energized around anything that you care about and feel like you want to perform at is what neuroscientists would call good anxiety. Anxiety, like all of mental health, exists on a spectrum. So that's good anxiety. In the middle is anxiety that a lot of us feel, really sort of moderate, kind of chronic anxiety. And I think that that can be best characterized as walking around with a feeling of worry, dread, fear of the future, sense that things aren't okay, maybe a jumpiness in your body, you're not sleeping that well, your eating patterns are all off. And many of us feel this way. And work actually 
makes many of us feel this way. And at the lower end of the spectrum is when anxiety becomes a disorder, a mental illness. And anxiety disorders are characterized by when you feel that anxiety, that constant worry, dread, too much when it gets in the way of your daily life. Maybe you feel even scared to leave your house. You're holding back from doing things you used to do. You're unable to concentrate at work. And that's when you really need to seek professional help for your anxiety. Okay, so there's lots of parts to this, right? I mean, there's things that everyone's going to be anxious about if you're dealing with illness in your family or you know a major life event, of course. And then there's things that you're throwing a party and you're anxious about, you know, how many people and organizing it. So are some people just always going to be prone, I'm thinking about the workplace, to worry about the minor things uh, to to a large extent, because you're not going to get over, you know, worrying about things that are major. If there's layoffs at work, of course, everyone's going to be going to be anxious about that. That's right. Um, although the way that they feel the anxiety, the way they react to it will be different person to person. You know, I think that I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, but the truth is, is that yes, some people have a more anxious baseline. They just came out more high strung, they're reactive, they're sensitive, they're forward planners, right? I think a lot of people that we traditionally call type A are really quite anxious. Um, My concept of the anxious achiever is a very specific workplace archetype that I have seen hundreds of times at this point in high achieving professionals who feel that their anxiety to perform, to do well, to try to keep things in control, to always be the best, honestly, is like oxygen. It keeps them motivated, but it also keeps them in a cycle of feeling anxious all the time. But that gets rewarded in many workplaces. Oh, a thousand percent. I think that people who are like that tend to be, if not leaders, but certainly in many management positions, correct? Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, there's not a lot of research on this stuff. I personally would like to do a lot more. You know, we don't exactly know how many leaders have anxiety disorders, how many leaders feel uh, a lot of anxiety each day. But the truth is, it's a lot because anxiety is the most common mental health challenge in the world. We know it affects over 30% of the population. And that's just people who've been to the doctor and gotten diagnosed, you know? And so anxiety is very common. And in high achieving people, it is more common. All right, let's talk about what this means for leaders. If you are somebody who is like this, either you are anxious because of real circumstances or you create these circumstances. And I say this because I've seen leaders who wait to the last minute to do projects. And of course, there's huge anxiety in the workplace and with their team because you've created a drama around it, right? Which I I believe is quite common. Now, should you be handling that or is it really just a, a way to work? You can choose to work like that. Well, like like all things in management and leadership, you want to think about the upstream and downstream effects on you and your team. You know, oftentimes we procrastinate and we avoid because we feel a lot of anxiety around what we're going to tackle. People who are perfectionists, for example, feel a tremendous amount of anxiety around the outcome of any given project, right? They align so much of their own self-worth in the outcome. And so a lot of perfectionists avoid they procrastinate because the stakes feel so high. I think we can all relate to the feeling of, oh my gosh, this has so much riding on it. Mm -hmm. I can't even get started. Now, that's fine if that's how you are. And there's some data that procrastination 
helps people, but it can also have a tremendously detrimental effect on the people around us. And so I think you really need to ask the question, is this working for me? And is it working for my team and the people around me? All right. So if you decide it's not working for my team, particularly, what are the things you should think about changing? I mean, personally, I think you should go to therapy. I think you should invest in building a body of self-awareness, of the ability to notice and tune in and not act out your anxiety or your anger or any other emotions that frequently arise in the office. You know, what I see so often and, and, and what I think is part of human nature is that these feelings are very uncomfortable. We don't like to deal with them. And so we find ways to express them that feel more comfortable to us. And for a lot of us, that comes out in management style. It comes out in overwork. It comes out in controlling behavior, micromanaging. For a lot of us, you know, we eat, we shop, we drink, <laughs> we do all the things. And so what I really, really ask leaders who are feeling, gosh, this might be an issue for me to do is to put in the work of building that muscle of self-awareness and the ability to be mindful about how you respond and react to anxiety. That's kind of a big ask, Mara. I think a lot of people <laughs> think this is working for me. I'm not about to go to therapy. Uh, do you think organizations need to be more involved and say, like, you are creating stress or and we want more of our managers to be more self-aware? If I had a dollar for every reader message that I get about their toxic leadership and their toxic boss and how miserable they are at work, I would be a very wealthy woman. I mean, I think we all we have to do is look at the data. There was just Gallup data that came out around stress and anger and disconnection in the workplace globally. And the numbers are horrific. Now, I think a lot of companies don't care. Let's face it. <laughs> no, they're getting results, right? Right. You know, but actually the truth is anxiety is the number one reason why people miss work. Mental health shows up in bottom line impacts for companies. So they need to invest in it. But we work in toxic systems. We work in racist systems, bias systems, patriarchal systems. There's a lot going on that damages people's mental health at work. And I do think it's incumbent on companies to have a look at this stuff. Whether they will or not is beyond my control, unfortunately. But a lot are. I think a lot of companies after the pandemic realize that they have to pay closer attention to how their employees are feeling and handling all this stress. You know, I think organizations were relatively good about realizing the mental health issues during the pandemic. I mean, not perfect, right? But I, I think there was an awareness. I speak to a lot of people about this. Yeah, there really now, was. There was. Now, now, if you're going forward, if you had a wish list for companies, for managers who are maybe creating the stress or maybe anxious themselves, and for workers who are dealing with stress, whether real or magnified, what would you like to see? The thing about stress is stress, stress is external, right? So stressors are actually placed upon us. Anxiety is what we feel in response to the stress. So anxiety is actually a really big issue because a lot of times we have expectations, we have work placed on us, and it becomes a problem because we don't know what's expected. We don't know what good looks like. We're not communicating well with our bosses. And so what I want is people to have a better mental health literacy, a better skill set to talk about this kind of stuff and to make expectations clearer, to communicate better. Because honestly, that foments a lot of anxiety at the team level. Anxiety in a workplace exists at three levels. It exists individually within me. 
it exists among teams and in groups, and it exists in the culture of the organization, which reflects probably larger social systems and cultures. And I want companies to look at all three layers. I want companies to look at how they pay people and whether they treat people with equity and whether they run organizations that have bad systems. I want them to give their managers time and resources and space so managers don't feel so stressed and anxious, both trying to manage the top and the people who work for them. And I want them to give benefits and resources to people all throughout the organization. I think, you know, there may be uh, a little progress made on this because I think there's a realization that people are leaving jobs and it costs a lot of money to replace them. So I can see why there's interest in your work. Um, If you're an individual, though, and you're dealing with this and maybe you can't go to therapy, but you're just trying to deal with your day to day, are there things you can do? There are absolutely things you can do. Obviously, there's a great body of literature and workbooks and podcasts and resources. I ask people to think about it in two ways. The first is to get in tune with your body because anxiety shows up in your body. And actually your body is sort of an early warning sign that things aren't okay. And so this might show up in, again, how am I sleeping? Am I up every night? Is my appetite changed? Either I have no desire to eat or I'm eating a lot more than usual, right? Is my body tense? Do my shoulders hurt? Does my neck hurt? Does my stomach feel upset or nauseous? Am I getting headaches, right? All of these body symptoms are signals that we need to pay attention to something, right? And really start logging how you feel throughout the day. And then try to get in touch with your emotions more. Is there a meeting that I feel very, very anxious before? Is there a person whose name pops up in my email and I feel very anxious? What is this telling me? Because really getting in touch with what your anxiety is manifesting as in your body and what's making you anxious at work is the first step. Okay, so you take the first step and then what do you do? You realize my boss is toxic and they're not firing him. So how do I deal? Well, this is a question that I, again, get all the time. And obviously the first question is, do I stay or do I go, right? That's the question. If the answer is, do I stay? Then it's really important to acknowledge a fundamental truth that is really difficult when you're feeling anxious, which is I can't control this person. I probably can't change them. So what can I do? I can try to make them feel less anxious, more clear in expectations, right? Managing up. I can give them more updates. I can respond to what they're asking of me so they build more trust in me. Maybe that's not possible. Maybe they're just not going to change. I need to build boundaries for myself. I need to create protection from this person for myself, just as you would in any toxic relationship, really. How do I let this person's words and actions not penetrate me and make me feel like I'm a bad person or it's all my fault? And then, you know, the third thing is to sit down and have a conversation with this person and see if it can be productive, you know, and really, I think, do some research and learn language that is constructive. I love the book, Difficult Conversations. It's a classic. It's an old book, but it's so helpful. Amy Gallo's work is really helpful in this, managing conflict in the workplace. But how can I 
be skilled so that I can have a conversation with this person that respects my boundaries, but tries to seek some kind of change. Let's talk about coping with this. If you can't really get the results you want, you know, there are things like exercise. How much will those help? They help a lot. Science actually shows us that moving your body, getting outside, being in nature, being with people you love, doing things that you love, doing things that actually engage your brain in an activity that you love so that it can unhook from anxious thoughts is really, really powerful. And so I know that we sometimes make fun of self-care and we hear the word self-care a lot, but self-care is actually not optional. And if self-care is a bad word for you, you can call it recovery or renewal or self-optimization. I don't care what you call it, but yes, make time for it. You know, there's so much more to talk about here. I'm curious though, is this different for women versus men, especially the last few years with the pandemic? Have you seen differences? I mean, women are showing higher rates of stress, of disengagement. Actually, this Gallup data shows that women have higher rates of anger at work for several hours a day. That's interesting to me because women traditionally, you know, anger is not often a socially acceptable emotion for women to have, right? Anxiety is. Uh, So the fact that women are expressing or feeling more anger and they know it is a sign to me that things are not okay. (laughs) And I think that most working women would definitely agree that things are not okay. Interesting. You know, it's such an interesting time, I think, in the evolution of work because we're finding different ways to work. We've come through this major event, the pandemic, which has changed things up. And it's really interesting to peel back and find out what people are thinking. And, and according to you, uh, it's not okay, right? We are seeing a lot of things to fix. Yes. I, I don't think it's just according to me. I'm certainly not an expert in that. But when you see also the re- latest data from the UN that gender bias has not changed basically in 15 years, I think it's really, really disheartening. And we also know that during the pandemic, women were asked to take on so much more of the emotional labor of taking care of their teams while we know that women were also asked to take on so much more labor at home and in their caregiving roles. And of course, this is this is a lot. Like you need space and time recovery again without leading to burnout and tremendous amounts of anxiety and depression. Are you optimistic, Mara, that we will see this turn around either because organizations take the lead or because people get in a better place? <laughs> I'm not an optimist by nature, to be honest, but um, I think I think that companies get it. I think that this stuff, as we're seeing right now with the economic downturn, is still seen as a nice to have when things are good and not a fundamental piece of creating a successful workplace. And I think that needs to change. Maura, thank you so much for talking to me. Interesting topic. Thanks, Linda. Appreciate it. Maura Ahrens-Milley is author of The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Maura and her work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at RelentlessEco. If you did like this conversation about the future of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It'll really help people to find us. It'll help us continue these discussions. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production.
To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the workandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.